Hey gang, this is Andy Zook, and you're listening to Bad at Parties, one-on-one conversations with artists at the corner of the party. This week is a double dose of Andy with designer and illustrator Andy Stewart on the show. Andy has been working on a variety of projects while in Seattle, but we talk at length about an installation piece that he did early on for the Seattle Design Fest. If you want a visual aid for this episode, click on the link in the description or on Bad at Party's Facebook. You can also go to www.andystewart.co and look up the piece titled To Change is to Move. Of course, while you're navigating on the internet, don't forget to subscribe to Bad at Party's podcast on your mobile device and catch the weekly episode. Now remember, if you want to be a sponsor for this podcast, I'm surprised. Here we go. Andy. More so than anything I'll actually say. Your own voice? Like yeah, just the, the intonation of my own voice will probably annoy me. I think that there gets to be a point where you just get used to hearing your own voice in yeah. recordings. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, that's the way I sound. No, totally. No, I, I get that. And it's more of a, um, I, I hear my voice from a certain perspective. And so hearing it from another perspective is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember being like in science, or not science class, in like Spanish class in yeah. fifth grade. And we had this one section where we would we would put on like headphones with a microphone and yes. you would talk Spanish. Right, because then, then you're you would, trying to be like, is my inflection the same? And you're trying to hear your own self. And then you're just like, you no, would, well, I, you were, you I would, suck. Yeah, you would record yourself talking and then it would play it back to you so you could hear what you sounded like. And all I could focus on, not on how I was saying the words, but how stupid I sounded <laughs> or how stupid I thought I sounded. Well, you've so. got a unique voice. Like you've got kind of a, a deeper, kind of huskier voice. Oh, yeah. it's not that. I recognize that this is a... No one listens to my voice and thinks like, "Oh, that's stupid." But it's just a very like idiosyncratic thing. No, that, like, you never you... listen to your voice, right? Exactly. Yeah, and so it just throws it back at you. When I was in Spanish class, all I was listening to was the hot girl that sat next to me. <laughs> so that wasn't like I don't think we had technology like that. Like yeah. we barely had technology like that in the computer rooms, let alone like totally. Spanish. Come on, there it's VCRs in Arlington. Yeah, that was. To be fair, that was, I don't think we ever used that past middle school. Like when I, I, tra- I changed schools before high school, and my, the school that I went to had nothing like that. So yeah. I must have just gone to a privileged middle school. Did you move know. around a bunch? I don't know. Uh, I, didn't move, I didn't move around at all growing. Remember, we were we recording. Yeah, oh, this okay. is the podcast. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, a strange, like, direct just, question to ask. Right? I really, well, I don't know. We're just, we're just talking. We're yeah, just catching up, man. Um, you just didn't give me, like, the three, two. No. No, this is life. Oh, man. This is All an right. interview. It's that's just fair. us being guys, that's being cool. people. Um, anyway, so, yeah. No, I uh, I didn't move around very much growing up. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up, I was in Macon, Georgia for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did transfer schools I went to one school from like basically kindergarten to eighth grade yeah. and then transferred schools and went to ninth through twelfth grade another one. So yeah. yeah. That's like only one move. I feel like that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was I've I had a very like um it's a pretty steady upbringing. There was not a lot of moving around. There was not a lot no. of yeah. Can you please tell me the story? I don't like dictate Stories, but can you please just tell me the story you literally just told me about your dad? Because it was so <laughs> fucking funny. Well, this all started when 
Andy offered me a beer and said that he had already had one walking I'm around the... I'm, I'm, all, I'm also Andy. Great. Yeah. So you're telling me this. You're talking to the future ghosts otherwise. They don't exist. Yes. They're not real people. Right. Cool. So... You were talking to me. Yeah, I was talking to you. Yeah. Anyway, so you told me that you've been walking around with a, the neighborhood with a beer, and I was like, you know, that's not so bad. My dad, when I was growing up, we would be going to dinner, and he would be driving to dinner, and he would open a road beer right before we left. So he'd just be cruising around making Georgia with a Bud Light, Bud Light and the uh, and the cup holder of the driver's Dude, seat. Dude, so. that just makes me so happy. I just really love that. I feel like that's the most Southern story. I forgot that Macon <laughs> was in... Georgia, and that just makes it a little bit better. Yeah, Macon's in Georgia. Macon is Macon's basically the cutoff point before you get into South Georgia, which is where right. things just get real southern. Was it very much like a you've crossed to the wrong side of the street? Deal? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, not that there's absolutely nothing wrong. My sister-in-law is from Southern Georgia, and right. she's great, and yeah. her family's great. Voting for Trump. Yeah, yep. a lot. My, I mean, my grandparents were voting for Trump, so Great. yeah. Awesome. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's fine. Good for them. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you're being serious right now. If you're okay with them voting for Trump, um, I think that uh, I think that having a multiplicity of opinions is important. Yes. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I like that they exist. I love that. I was on the. I've been having a bunch of conversations the last couple of weeks about pacifism, and it keeps coming back to politics and the idea of. Just saying, like, it's about making sure that you're open and receptive to hearing people and not forcing them and not making an enemy out of other people. And I love that, that you can move, like, your family. I feel like such a typical response, especially in the city like this, where it's a high liberal population, like, the typical response is be like, oh, my dumb ex-person in my life, I unfriended them. Like, just like a hard, like, they're the other. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's been sort of the story of this, uh, this whole election season, right? It's just been mm-hmm. how polarized everything's been. And it really has brought out the worst in a lot of people and a lot of the dialogue has just been so negative right? and so divided and so not willing to listen to the other side no. or like even take for, or like even believe that they might have a valid opinion about something. So, right. It's just to say, I'm encompassing you with all the things I hate, all of the negative things I've associated. I'm going to imply them upon you as a person because you've backed right. one thing or one idea. Right. Absolutely. I don't know. It's, it goes back to a lot of actually what I've been, something that I've been reading and thinking and writing a lot about recently, which yeah. is, um, I started, well, so I, I read a book maybe two months ago called, uh, the people's platform by Astra Taylor. Cool. Um, and it's basically about, broadly it's about the moral landscape of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that she talks about, not in depth, but that she, she goes into some, is this idea of um, the filter bubble that the mm-hmm. internet creates. And she, she references another book that I'm now reading um, called The Filter Bubble by Eli Pariser. And it's basically exploring how in the past four or five years, this... The, the personalization of the internet has right. become so pervasive from, from Facebook and Google and stuff like that and kind of how that has shifted our mindsets and our, uh, and our relationships and the way that we think and the way we process information and the information that we rece- receive and um, kind of looking at where it is, how it got there, and where it's going. So, right. Yeah. Hmm. Super interesting. It's, uh, yeah. And I think, like, that idea is also 
encompassed in, in like that, that concept of so much of that content that exists on the internet is, I, I feel a lot of the time like that's the only way that that world exists. And sometimes that exists more on the internet, mm. uh, that there is a greater sense of reality. You know, if we agree that that's the reality, then it is. Like, we're all living in this universe together, talking to each other. Mm. We're saying, this is our reality that we all choose to engage with. So if we choose to engage with Facebook, or if we choose to engage with Instagram and say, that's a true reality, then it becomes so, because we believe it to be so. Right. And so, it, it's, it's funny to, rather than, uh, to see people more and more giving more reality to social media, more reality to things that just exist in this electronic versions and not seek out uh, more truth beyond that. That it's just like, if it exists in this medium, then that's the deepest level of truth I need. Right. And I can totally say, like, me. Yeah, totally. I'm doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. How well, am I finding out about this election if not through so social media? How am I... Or for media, sorry, not social media, but media in general. Yeah. Uh, electronically. I mean, I might be listening to NPR. Typically, might listen to it once a day, but... Definitely not in, like, a comparable percentage to what right. I'm listening. Like, I'm just scrolling through or finding articles that someone sent to me or something like that. Right. Yeah. And there's no fact-checking. I'm not, like, double-checking. There's no fact-checking. There's also, I mean, again, like, the issue is that as, you're, you, as Google and Facebook and these things are learning about you, they're actually filtering out the things that you are less prone to agree with. And right. so you're just reinforcing your own beliefs. Absolutely. I mean, um, you take it back to the idea of, like, are you willing to listen and have a exactly. diverse opinion if you're giving into these things that say, let me show you things that are make you happier in kind of like trying to create, uh, in trying to create, my dog's just going to bring out all that's, the toys. I thought fine. I did them all. Um, in, in trying to create like this more it, it, typical uh, utopia, you're going to create a dystopia. Right. Like they're like, we're going to create a utopia internet where you're only seeing the things you want to see. You care about it. And it's, that's right. going to make you a shitty person. Right. I mean, it's, there was a publication, like there were, I mean, there's so many things like this, but I think it was like Newsweek or one of the, um, one of the major news outlets had this digital magazine that they were doing for a while called mine. That was just basically aggregating all the content that you mm. would care about into this personalized newspaper that would be delivered to your email or your inbox sure. or whatever. I, I um, was look, looking at, uh, something like that. Sorry, it's an S, but it's like a, a skim. I was looking at skim. Mm -hmm. It's an app that like basically takes like all the news, th all the news. I'm saying quotes. Like right. it takes like some headlines. It truncates them into quick conversation. Quotes. Right. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting that uh, people who are looking at sort of this phenomenon of the filter bubble, um, one of the things that I find interesting, or one of the parallels that they're, that they're drawing that I find interesting, is they're looking at the filter bubble phenomenon in comparison to where we are now with obesity, hmm. and how that relates back to decisions that we made decades ago about the type of food that we're going to make readily available, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, government subsidies yep. favored a certain type of food and yep. uh, production methods favored a certain type yep. of food and marketing favored a certain type of food. And it got to be where highly processed, highly sugary, highly mm -hmm. uh, or nutritionally uh, vapid foods became the things that were readily available, which has kind of led us to the point that we're at where we have a lot of health issues where we have a lot of obesity and they're, but what those foods did was they tapped into a very, very, uh, unfortunate bias 
and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, you you're predisposed to like those types. Yeah, of things. you it's love a like, as it like left to our own devices. We would just eat sugar, just oh, eat yeah. sh- all the sugar, which uh, and we would crazy? all be diabetic. Yeah. But yeah, but. I think anybody, especially now, can go, like, that's not a good thing. Like, white bread, like, Wonder Bread's not a good thing. Like, we shouldn't have Wonder Bread. Um, but in the 50s, Wonder Bread was awesome. It was, and I it mean, was pure. It's, and It's still awesome. Turn off your brain. <laughs> it's still... Oh, it's still awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah it, it fires all... The, it hits all the right marks. Yes, it's definitely doing it. And it's funny because, like, evolutionarily... Like, that would be the thing that you would seek out. Like, those flavors are flavors that you would seek out and really be drawn to because they're rare flavors. Right. They're hard to find, and they're going to give you uh, blood sugar. That's going to help you, like, develop your brain. It's going to help you do deeper thoughts. Yep. Um, All of these things are, like, important stuff. You're like, oh, this is a hard-to-come-by resource. I should eat it now. I should consume it. And now it's just hyper available. Right. It's hyper available. And so, and, and, and and they're looking, and they're, like, comparing this to, like, uh, you know, how much easier is it to click on something that is, like, 20 things that you didn't even know you were doing wrong with your life versus, like, something about homelessness or poverty issues that actually matter. Right. Or it's a lot easier, like, things that go viral or, like, cat videos versus, like, what's going on in Syria. So sure. we tend to, not only do we tend to favor foods that are sugary or not great for us, we also tend to favor information that's easy to digest and Absolutely. easy to consume, but not necessarily what we need to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. And left on our devices, we're going to consume a lot of cat videos, yep. but we're not going to necessarily be making a better, more civilized, fairer society by watching a lot of cat videos. Absolutely. So. It's so true. And I think that that uh, takes this moment where there's an ethical part, uh, there's an ethical point that hits the artist. And it takes, for you, as someone who's doing illustration, who's doing design, you're hit with this moment where you say, then what is the the media that I'm creating, the mm-hmm. art form that I'm creating? Because it's this tough thing where it's equal parts media and art. Um, and it's saying, what type of, of things am I going to put out there? Uh, these these news outlets know that if they put Trump on the internet, that it's going to get more clicks. Yeah. That's the content that people <clears throat> want to hear about. Uh, nobody is going to click on the North Dakota pipeline right. until now they will. Like, at this point, it, like, grassroots, like, came to the surface. But for a long, long time, nobody was talking about it. Nobody was clicking on these things. Right. Um, and so what is your response to that? And how do you say, will I give in to the thing that's going to give me more notoriety, Am I? It, it's essentially it's a sellout. Are you gonna pump, be punk rock? Or are you going to sell out to these things that are going to really like? Is this visual medium going to spin out of control really quickly? Right. Yeah. Totally. And I think the answer is both. I yeah. Don't know. Like and for like I mean unfortunately yeah like it's um, I would love to say that I'm well I mean the whole notion of selling selling out is sort of difficult. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we all, and it becomes even more difficult when you look, think about things like Facebook and mm-hmm. things where we're already, like, we're already selling out. Like, corporations are already making billions of dollars off of us. Yeah. So, what, what does it even mean to sell out anymore? Sure. But, um, but to your point, like, what are we... What are we promoting through our work, and what are we? Right. Uh, 
what are we what are we pushing to the surface? What are we helping to to succeed? And I, you know, um, I I try to take on mostly projects that I support, and I think I do a fairly good job of that. But there also is the issue of paying bills and such. Hundred um, percent. You've made your art form also your source of revenue, your source of income. Like, some, that's your yeah. livelihood. Right. And yeah. I don't... As long as I'm not doing... As long as I'm not working to promote anything that I actively disagree with, sure. I feel okay about it. Sure. Like, there's a I, process of being mindful, and there's a process of making good choices, and there right. are plenty of choices that you can make that are... that fit both of those, that can say, like, this is going to be financially viable, and it's not going to be selling my soul. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. I, I think that... I love that. And I think that that's one of those things that took me a um, maturing to get to, to be comfortable with. Um, even though I'm not making, I'm, I'm no longer making music my livelihood. There was like a period of time where I was, I was really <coughs> frustrated. Like, is this allowed? Even though I still felt like doing music therapy, like this is for a good cause. It has all these beneficial elements to it, but it's still, it still felt like, but that's not my true art, you know, in right. quotation marks, like what, like messages I'm trying to present. I'm, you know, I'm playing fun little covers for a group of people uh, who have like, we have goals, we have things that we're trying to accomplish, but um, in that it still felt difficult right. to get to that point. And I think that it's learning uh, <laughs> to marry those two worlds, uh, to also uh, take the thing that you're creating and, and to kind of like, take it off your high horse to say like, okay, I'm, is this, if I created the best work, if I gave up any pursuit of income and I just made the truest thing I possibly could, how much does that matter? Right. You know, and that's, that's hard. That's a humbling call to say like, I'm kind of just, it's just, it's not world changing. No. It's not going to change the world. There's maybe like a few things that have ever done that. It's not supposed to. Right. You know, and I think that that's, that's that maturing process. Absolutely. Yeah. I like the things you create though. Thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate it. I think, uh, I, I think like I look through your stuff every now and then and I always come back to that installation piece that you did. I think it was with rubber bands or mm -hmm. like ties. It was with the uh, flagging tape. Yeah. 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 So that was for the Seattle Design Festival a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and that was... That was the weirdest project. Yeah, um, I loved it. I think it was also right when I met you that you were doing that. That was yeah. like, I think I'd known you for a month. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Andy's, Andy's the coolest. <laughs> Andy's doing cool, weird shit. Yeah, man, I wish I did more of that cool, weird shit. Um, anyway, yeah, no, that was, that was a kind of an opportunity that just sort of fell into my lap. I was, um, yeah, I had not been in Seattle, but for maybe three or four months, I was working at a design firm in Pioneer Square called Tether, mm -hmm. and that's right. And there was a somewhat the design festival needed somebody to lead a team. Basically, like they they had had they were playing this block party, and the block party was going to have like eight or nine installations, mm -hmm. um, and. They had had all the teams set up, and then one of the team leaders just, like, five days before the first deadline just decided he was going to drop. And That's so uh, whoever was leading the design festival reached out to a friend of theirs at Tether who couldn't do it. And so he kind of just put a call to the studio, like, hey, is there anybody who could do it? I'm, like, a 
like a low lead designer at this point. I've been there mm. for like four months and I kind of expected somebody else to put their hand up and I was kind of like, if nobody wants it, I'll do it. Yeah. And, and never really expected anything to come of it. Um, and no one else did put their hand up and so That's I ended crazy. up, yeah, and so I ended up doing it. Um, it, it was with, at that point that would be all with strangers because you didn't know any of these people. I knew no one, and yeah. and ba- and the situation got thrown into was like all the all the other teams that were uh, had doing it before this first deadline had been doing it for like a month, so they'd had like right. a month to prepare. Stuff. There's a reason this guy who dropped out dropped out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and the first deadline was this thing that they called the design rumble, which was like a Somewhere between speed dating and brainstorming. Yeah. So the idea was that each of the nine teams would have... Uh, we all went to this uh, architecture firm, and everybody was spread out. Each of the nine teams had a room, and you were supposed to give a presentation about uh, this idea for an installation that you wanted mm-hmm. to do. Um, so all of the eight other teams had a month to get their ideas ready, and I got pulled in three days before this presentation that I was supposed to give yeah. with literally nothing. Like, literally, the only prompt was it needs to be an installation that fits into this footprint of a place, and it uh, has to be an interpretation of the theme design and motion. Like, that's literally all I was given. It's like... Just so open-ended. Yeah, Just so, like, so the, the bare minimum of anything that you could give. Um, so that was, like... Three days of just insanity of like me being at work at Tether and then coming home and just like writing and and sketching and thinking through like what the hell am I supposed to talk about? Because not only did I have to come up with like an idea, but I also had to put together a presentation. Yeah, you, had to present, you had to be like, I'm I'm not just like being like I put a bunch of leaves there. It's a pile of leaves. <laughs> right. Like it's like this is thought out. This is intentional. Yeah, and I had yeah. to do this. And so the reason it was like brainstorming is that you. Gave a present. The the idea was that you would give a presentation to a group of like nine or ten people. Mm-hmm. You would present for five minutes, and they had five minutes to sketch out an idea for like what the final estimation might like look like, or like how you could do, it, or like idea. Just oh, anything. So, okay. So you're saying, let me tell you my idea, and then they're drawing it yeah, exactly. based on what you say. That's yeah. so crazy. Um, That's fun. And so you and so you do that like probably six or seven times, right? And so at the end of the event, you have you've pitched this thing like six, seven, whatever times. You have a stack of like seventy or eighty sketches that people have done. Jeez. Um, and and then you go through and kind of like pull call things and like see what and kind of it, it's it's you're not really, like, wetting yourself to an idea, but you're going, like, this is kind of what... I, these two things were kind of what I was thinking, or, like... Yeah, like, um, what's connecting with you? Right, and yeah. so then you present it back to this bigger group, which is, you know, 120 mm. designers, architects, creatives from around Seattle. You present, like, kind of your original idea, what these sketches are, and kind of what you're trying to do. Mm. And then, at that point, any those 120 people can join on to whatever team that they want to. Cool. So, after all of that, I had, like, 20 people join my team, which was, I think, the highest number yeah, of that's anyone. A, that's really which tight. Which was a lot of people. And, it, and I, I will that's say... That's a lot of responsibility. That's like, a lot of... That's also, like, like, I have to give all these people jobs. Yeah. I, I want five people. Right. <laughs> I have to give all these people jobs, and 
I also have to wrangle a bunch of people who are well-intentioned and also not getting paid to do this and are, like, not going to give that... Dude, that's volunteer (laughs) coordinating at its basic level. Um, And so, yeah, so... And at this point, like, I... So I, I studied journalism when I was in college, and my senior year... I was the editor-in-chief of our school newspaper. Mm. So I had some experience with, like, leading a team. Right. But I'd never led a team like this before, and I'd also never led a design team before. Mm -mm. So it was a lot of... And that's kind of, like, that's really where I like... Like, I love that kind of challenge where... Mm -hmm. um, There's a designer that I really like named Kelly Anderson, and she articulated, articulated something that I believe really well and that she said um when she can close the gap between work and pure learning she's the happiest and i think that that's like a Mm. really uh something that i really resonate with Mm, that's so beautiful and and that's really how i felt with that project is like i i was not in any way on paper qualified to lead that. No. Uh, I'd never done an installation before. But you're just pure learning. You're actively like, I'm doing this and I'm gaining. Like, it's equal parts, like, like mm. the hand is coming in and the hand is going yeah, out absolutely. at the same exact time. That absolutely. is such a beautiful, beautiful image. Um, and, yeah, and so it was, like, it was crazy. And uh, so we then had, like, 10 or 12 weeks, I think, to take sort of this initial idea that I I drummed up in three days and these sketches that had been done that one night mm-hmm. and fleshed that out into a fully formed installation. And so where we it, it was really interesting because where we started and where we ended up were related but pretty different. Right. And there was also I and I one of the things that I'm most proud of for that process was I feel good about how I was able to involve everybody in the group. Right. But I also am really proud of how I was able to guide the group as well. Um, There was one point, like, maybe a couple of meetings in where I felt like we had latched onto an idea really quickly that didn't... It was safe. It was safe, Mm -hmm. but it also just didn't really, like, there wasn't really, like, a bigger idea to it. Right, sure. I, I totally get that. It's it's the thing that you kind of are all like, oh, this would be a thing that this is, I can see how we could accomplish it. Right. And it's it's more like, oh, well, we picked the easy thing. Right, exactly. Right. And so we had that meeting. We, like, just, we kind of, like, decided that this was going to be the direction that we moved forward with. And I really didn't feel good about it. And so I, like, over the next week before we met again... I, so wait, you had three days to do that earlier project, and yeah. then you had a, a bigger chunk of time afterwards yeah, yeah. before so, you actually had to make the thing. Right. So right. We, we had about 10 weeks okay, cool. from that initial design okay, rumble you had until a good the actual... Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so we had... So we, I mean, between that time, we probably had eight or 10 meetings cool. to put it, like, pulling it all together. Um, but uh, two or three meetings in, we kind of started heading down a path that I, I didn't feel like was right. And so... Between that meeting and the next meeting, I went home and I, like, came up with a bunch of alternative ideas that were not executable. Like, they Mm -hmm. were crazy. Mm -hmm. And so the next meeting, I started out by, like, here's kind of what we talked about in the last meeting, and here's some other ideas that I kind of wanted to talk through just for the throw in the pot. 
And it wasn't for the... It, I, I didn't actually want to do any of those ideas. I just wanted to sort of shake up the conversation a little bit. And that meeting, the meeting that I did that ended up lasting for like three and a half hours. Mm. And people got like really heated and yeah. passionate about it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we ended up landing on what we went... Uh, we ended up moving forward with and what we ended up producing. And it was a lot smarter and it was a lot more conceptually interesting than the thing that we had started going on before. Yeah. And it, we wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't been brave enough to kind of stir the pot a little bit. And, and, and honestly, like I, I think, I think it's important to realize in brainstorming that nobody comes up with an idea. It's the, the group that comes up with the idea. And so I don't, I, 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 I am excited that, like, I contributed to pushing the conversation forward and then let other people in the group kind of develop the idea that we ended mm-hmm. up going forward with. Um, and that was really exciting to me because it felt like there's, for majority of projects that I do, you know, like, I'm sitting in my corner and I, like, come up with an idea and then I execute on the idea. And it felt really good to be in a position where... I didn't necessarily know what the answer was, but mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to accomplish or like the, the level of an idea that I wanted to get to. And I was able to drive the conversation in a way that we, as a group, were able to get there. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the things that I was most proud of with that That's project. That's so, so beautiful. And I feel like this is why I, I bring this up, because hearing that whole story, hearing that process, um, you really talked about that, about getting from this idea, talking about where these different ruminations came from, from different people, and then the inclination of others to be involved in it and being heated. And all of this is so process-oriented. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what you tend to talk about. Like, anytime I've talked to you about art stuff or or projects that you've been working on, um, it's very little, very little of it is about, here's where it's going to look like, Mm -hmm. or here's what it's going to, uh, what you're going to see. It's more about... Here's what's happening. Here's how we got here. Here's where I think we're going. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that because I think that that's just a beautiful way that you look at stuff is because okay. you become, I think you're just a very, very much like expert in the mediums that you work in. And because of that, <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I'm going to say that. <laughs> well, it, from, from someone who doesn't know, cause sure. I don't, you know, I'm just like a colorblind dude. So what do I know about design? <laughs> but like, Fair. uh, I think that because of that, um, and at least I believe that you think that, that you're that, and I think that you uh, are confident in these things, uh, that you can really engage in the, the social elements of it, the kind of the psychology and the sociology of how are we mm. making this and why are we making this and what's the point of all of it. Mm. Um, so that way when something's done, uh, no, it just feels like, okay, yeah, we're done, but the, the, this whole process, this was the real art, this community and these actions. And, and like when I think about the project and the, when you made it, I think about this picture that you had, which was all of the people who worked on it just like tearing at it and like biting into the thing yeah. that you made with like ropes in their face and everything. And like that, I'm just like, oh, I see what you did. I see the people and I like that's the art. Yeah. Like more than the actual physical thing, although the physical thing was really cool, but like how everyone was just like, ah, this thing we made. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And that, and that was what was fun of it, about it. And like, I, I've stayed in touch with a few people. I haven't done a great job of staying in touch with everybody, but it was fun for a while it lasted to have that group of people who like mm-hmm. beforehand didn't know each other. Afterwards, 
not really that close of friends. Sure. But, like, while we were in it, we were really working together and, like, really dedicated to this idea and really uh, invested in seeing it come to life. And, like, yeah. just being able to be a part of that was, was really exciting. I and, I mean, that. for... Especially to do it with people who, like... Uh, People who are doing it just because they care about it, right? Like there, there was, there wasn't any money in it. There no, was no, I mean, and how could you stay in touch with everyone right. once the mutual goal is done? Like this is, right. this is built to be a temporary Absolutely. community, just as it's built to be a temporary project. Absolutely, and like, that's important. Yeah, totally. And I think it's, I don't know, one of the things that's interesting about design work. Uh, it was funny to be at the actual festival blog party where it was being used, and like to sure. watch it being used, and that was really exciting for me. Uh, and it was, it was really validating in a way to see people interacting with it in the way that I had hoped that they would interact sure. with it. And also in ways that I hadn't anticipated or expected, but like in general, it did kind of what I hoped what were they it was going to do. Uh, I, well, I mean, in general, the idea was that it would, it would move from this thing that was very structured and, um, uh, like very structured, very pristine, very precise to this thing that with the audience's input became chaotic and yeah. crazy and mm-hmm. colorful. And, right. uh, and, and that, and that's what happened and that was validating, but it was also, it was also really exciting for me. And one of the things that was most meaningful to me about the project was seeing grown adults mm-hmm. come up to, because like kids are going to love it, right? Yeah, like you give kids string and they're like in Cloud Nine, and right? And they're great. just wrapping it around different yeah. like layers of totally. things, and they can um, just attach all the pieces. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was gratifying to see adults come up to it and spend ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, mm-hmm. like wrapping picture. Like one guy made this gigantic heart out of uh, flagging mm-hmm. tape, and the um, and the thing. And to me, it was the the. For the actual installation, it kind of became about giving people this permission to play mm-hmm. in a way that you don't always get in an adult. And, like, it was kind Absolutely. of, uh, for me, it was kind of, like, and that's one of the things that I love is projects that can do that is where people are given permission to to play and to act like kids again. Yep. Like, um, that's something that I always really strive for. And work that I do is to, to mm. make people laugh or to make people feel that sense of like whimsy or uh, or kind of just carefree ness that you have as a kid mm-hmm. and to be able to embrace that. And that's what I think that project did really well of just like getting people who are 20, 30 years old to like get on their knees and wrap flagging tape around yeah, I mean, thing because it's fun. That so. idea of like just like whimsy and, and, and child carefreeness is like very evident in the stuff that you're creating. I totally see that. I love the way you said that. Do you feel like when you're doing these things, obviously there has to be this <laughs> level of responsibility and taking this on and staying up late and working a, your full job and then going and saying like, and now I work on my art and I work mm-hmm. on my craft, I work on these projects. Do you feel like you're still finding the moments where you can be like, and now I am playing. I'm having fun with this. I'm like, I'm have, experiencing joy with this. Or do I, you feel like you're just giving that to other people? Is there like a, yeah, a that's, return? That's a good question. Um, I think it can, I think it depends. Um, I think there have been times, and I'm really thinking about this like in the last, 
over the last three years because that's mm-hmm. really like that was when I moved to Seattle and that's kind of been sure. it's kind of this um, chapter yeah it's kind of this chapter it's when life. you've known me it's yeah absolutely that, yeah the, the this phase of my life started when I, I used met to be Andy. one Andy yeah and now we're two yes absolutely <laughs> um, but I think that there have been various times in my the last three years where a lot of what I was doing was like it, it was just fun and that I and I enjoyed doing it but there also have been phases where I kind of got to a point where I was doing things and, was, and it wasn't necessarily that I was doing anything differently outwardly. Like I may have still been doing screen printing or letterpress or like whatever, but it, it got less fun because I was focusing on the wrong things. Like I was, I got involved in, or I got focused on something that I didn't necessarily care about or I went sure. down a weird direction. So, sure. um, I mean, I, mean, I think it's give and take. Like I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's important to try to remember uh, what M- Malika Fabra is. I think that's her, how you pronounce her name. Malika Fabra is an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a quote where she was talking about um, like enjoying your work. And she talks about like if you, if you hit a point where you're not enjoying your work anymore, take a step back and think about why you're doing it in the first place and yeah. figure out what you cared about in the first place. Um, and I think that that's important because I think it is really easy to like, you find something you care about, you get really excited about it, you do it, it's fun, it's fun, it's fun. And then eventually it becomes more of a road exercise or sure. um, it becomes something that you're doing because you were doing it and you sort of lose that momentum or that uh, focus or the... You just lose sight of right. the thing. And it's very easy at that point th- for it to become a habitual addiction. Right, Because exactly. you're saying, I'm doing this because I do this, because right. I don't know what else to do. Um, and I think that's so easy for, for artists to hit that stagnation where you're you're really hating, or you're kind of like, you're just picking at it over and over again, and it's, it's just digging a hole into yourself, and you're like, well, I don't know where else to go. Right. Like, this was nice for a while, and now it's I've started to bleed at this scratch, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's important to try and keep, uh, there, for, uh, so I talking, I use quotes from other people. A lot, Good. So I, hope I mean, okay. it's beautiful. Um, so there's a designer writer who I really like named Frank, uh, Frank Chimero and, mm-hmm. or Frank Chimero. Um, but he Again, didn't do the Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty girl. If you can say that in a, in an attractive middle school girl voice, then that's weird. <laughs> that's the, then that's weird. But also, then I'm paying attention. Then you pay Anyways, attention. yeah. Uh, no, no longer in middle school, so now it's inappropriate. Now it's creepy. <laughs> okay, so Frank Himero. Frank Himero. I it, said it yeah. the same. We said it the same. <laughs> Great. Uh, perfect. No, so he uh, he talks about creativity uh, and relates it to a painter and the way mm. that to be an effective painter, you have to be able to get really close to your canvas and really get in the details, but then you also have to be able to take a step back and look right. at the whole picture and see where you are. And it's that back and forth interplay of sure. getting really close up and really into the details and then being able to pull back and look at the bigger picture and understand what sure. you've done. When you're mastering music, uh, like that's one of the most like confusing things to me. And you're literally a master of understanding like these frequencies and how they're all playing together. And if you've ever sat in a mastering studio, they're literally just cranking the volume up and down and up and down and back and forth. And they're, they're zooming in, they're zooming out. Yep. And it's just like, 
I have no idea what you're doing. And that's what you have to be to be a good painter, to be a master of any true art, right. is to be able to look at whole and small and whole and small yep. and constantly be shifting back and forth between Absolutely. your perspectives. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's true on the level of your creative outputs as well. Like, you need to be able to, like, invest in it and throw mm-hmm. yourself into it and and do it, but then you also be able to pull back and understand why you're doing it and why mm-hmm. it was fun and why you're investing in it. Yeah. So I, I just, we just had a really hard moment where I've been... Uh, working with on this music for a long time with band with with our friend Aaron mm-hmm. and uh, it's been great and we did this excellent recording that I was really excited for and then um, just in engineering it like I don't it was just not going the way that we were hoping it would <laughs> uh, for a myriad of different reasons but it was really getting to this point where um, I think we yeah perspective was just off in many people's parties and we finally hit this moment where like, we recognized that we'd been too, kind of, like, you'd spent too long on the intricate details. Yep. And you had then all of a sudden realized that you messed it up because you didn't have good perspective. And I literally, uh, just a couple days ago, had to make the call, like, we have to stop this project. We may have to start over. We're we're not working on this anymore. And literally, like, invested a lot of time, a lot of money into this, and had to make the artistic call, like, yep, this this is done. We might... Try. I, I have to. We'll have to look at a different approach. We have to really reframe our perspective. But this isn't good, and that's not the artwork we're trying to put out. So I'm going to stop. So the and so was the problem like starting in the recording phase? Like, what? I mean, how it, did it, I? I think I think that it's a, a bunch of different stuff. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, and I feel like the the no, wounds too not. too fresh right now for me to really absolutely. have like a good perspective on it. But I think that it was just uh, it was yeah, it was a bunch of different stuff. But I think the biggest thing was having the moment where you step back, and if you and you say, "I messed it up," mm-hmm. and and knowing that, and because and like. If you're constantly doing that, hopefully yeah. you don't hit that moment. But having the maturity <laughs> to also say like, "Oh, this is I focused really small, and it is now no longer what the whole thing was supposed to be." Right. It's now that the the focal point yep. is off. Totally. Yeah. Uh, no, I get that. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's similar to, and, and this may be something that's sort of a analog to that, but I <clears throat> something I still struggle with, but I, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at is going from the sketch of an idea to the execution of an idea. Mm. Um, because I think it's really easy to... It's not easy, but it, 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 it's... You get to a certain point when you're sketching, whether it's a poster, whether it's a logo, whatever, sure. where you're like, yeah, this makes sense. This is this is the distilled form of the idea that I was trying to get to. And so you have this sketch, you have this thumbnail. It probably isn't drawn very well, but mm. it's the idea. And that's all that matters. And then you take that sketch and you've got to take it and convert it into whatever the final finished product is going to be. Sure. And if you don't have that pulled back view, it's really easy to kill that sketch and Mm -hmm. suck all the life out of whatever it was. Like whether it's drawing something and it just becomes rigid and lifeless or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the idea changes. Like it just, there's so many things that can go wrong in that process of taking uh, your sketch and and converting it into what it's going to be the finished product. And it really is that like being able to get into the details and then pull back and make sure that, uh, what you're making is staying true to the original vision that you had. Mm-hmm. I just realized my dog was chewing on my socks. Well, one sock down. Yeah. yeah. Worst I, thing. I guess there's worse things. There's worse could, things. Yeah. yeah. There's worse things in the world. 
Um, yeah, I think that, that that makes so much sense. And I, I think I can really relate to that in, in, uh, in art. You know, I've, I've doodled. <laughs> I've tried sure. stuff like that. But I think that I can totally get that um, in that and in music and just that idea of uh, a lot of artists that mm. I see and a lot of musicians that I see are really good at that first draft. People are great at first drafts, especially yep. in this day and age. I think we're the, the we're the generation of first drafts, and and what we are bad at is <laughs> is uh, being uncomfortable to working through the hard parts. To to saying like, you know, you finally hit that um, emotional moment where it feels good, mm. and then <laughs> saying I'm gonna let it feel bad again. Maybe I'm yep. gonna go through that pain and come out on the other side, and knowing that it's going to like do dips and rises, but know that it's steadily going up. Yeah. And then it might break. You, you, you might, might ruin might it. Try, yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it feels like cooking, mm. you know? It's so easy to cook something really, really simple mm. uh, or, like, cook small parts and components and then be afraid to combine them. Right. I, I say as, like, someone who's really afraid of cooking but loves <laughs> it. Like, I love the joy that feels. And, like, I can be, like, I diced everything perfectly or I reduced something so well and then I combine things and I don't do it right. And I'm like, well, I wasted all of these pieces. <laughs> and so instead, I think a lot of us tend to say, let me give you my small tidbits. Let me give you these pieces that are good in and of themselves without the maturity to let them come together, to let them simmer, to let uh, drafts happen. Yep. Uh, you know, work on stuff. Work on <laughs> stuff for a long time. Let it let it fail. Mm. And then try a new approach. Yep. And, and be okay with saying like, I'm going to go through phases with right. this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I mean, it's the whole like, uh, the hourglass thing, right? The gap, um, mm-hmm. of, uh, you've got to be willing to do a lot of work because his whole point is that people get in creative fields because they have taste, but their talent does not match their taste. And so mm. you start out by making things that don't match your taste level. And for a lot of people, it's discouraging and they quit, but the key to becoming successful or to, to being as good as you want to be is just to keep going and be able to push through that. Yep. Because eventually your taste, your talent is going to keep catch up to your taste, but you've just got to, you've got to know and you've got to believe that even though the things that you're making aren't as good as you want them to be, that you're getting better and that you're doing a, a level of work that an amount of work that is going to get you to where you want to be mm-hmm. and that you're going to be able to bridge that gap and what he calls the gap of mm-hmm. like, uh, starting and then eventually getting to where you want to be as a creative. So absolutely. I think that's so beautiful. Um, and I think also, I think that's easier to do, uh, when you're not doing what you're doing, which is making it your livelihood. And I think some people are so eager to make something that their livelihood mm-hmm. become their livelihood, that they're not willing to, um, quote unquote, sell out, say like, I'm going to just work jobs. I, I think so. Uh, I had, uh, Lara, uh, who's a part of this band wild powers and she and I worked together. Like, uh, she was on the podcast a while ago and I, she and I were on the, at a, worked at a coffee shop and then she worked at bars and she did all of these jobs that are, you know, not, not career jobs. They're just right. regular day to day jobs. And she wanted to be a musician and she's got this band right now that she's worked really hard and at that she's built up to be this kick ass thing that they released an amazing album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's like a year ago now, but it's still really great. And I think that that's one of those people who I'm like, that's not selling out. Like whatever it is, whatever the thing that you need to do to sustain yourself, that's good. That's okay. You don't have to be a full time artist. Mm-hmm. 
to be an artist. Like, do these other things that let you become the artist that you want to be. Right. Like, and if that means that you're not going to hit this, if you're afraid, like, what if I just am, am like, what if I, I, I lose it? Or what if I, I, I miss the opportunity? It's that, it's that FOMO, you know? Right. It's that fear of missing out. Like, uh, and so and you, and so you don't let stuff sit in there. You don't let it grow. Yeah. You don't let it get better. Right. You're just, you're just afraid. <laughs> I'm saying all these things to myself. Right. I'm saying totally. everything to myself right now, Andy. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. I will say, like, I, probably one of the best decisions that I made, um, and, and something that not everybody, and especially f- for a lot of people, I think, who want to do music full-time, um, or, or a lot of things full-time, <clears throat> is that I went to school full-time to do design for two years. Yep. And that's a really, that's something that I don't take for granted at all, because that was no. two years of, I mean, I, I worked some, like, I worked some restaurant jobs and stuff like that, but the majority of my time went to honing my craft and working on design and understanding Absolutely. design. And it was like, uh, Ben Gibbard, uh, he of death cap for cutie, yep. uh, attributes his death cap success to them being able to suck privately in the beginning. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of what oh I felt like design school was for me. And like, mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the things that you have to be comfortable with is that like, you're going to suck at first. And Absolutely. Like you're, suck. And you're going to have, and, and I'm really glad that I, was able to go to design school and I had that time to be able to put towards sucking. Yeah. But like figuring You've it out. You've got to put but in like some serious yeah. sucking time. <laughs> yeah, you really you have do. To, and not like a little bit, like hundreds of hours of sucking before you're going to be able to be like, okay, I am this thing now right. that doesn't suck 100% of the time. Right. I think it's also, it's also, uh, I think it's interesting as, especially as you move forward and you progress and you get better, being able to look back at stuff that you did earlier and be comfortable with like that as a portrait of who you were at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is like when I, so uh, my story of getting, starting design school was basically I graduated college with a journalism degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I Realized that journalism was not a viable career path. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Colorado for a year. I worked as a ski instructor mm-hmm. with some friends. I had no idea. That's so awesome. Yeah. You ski? I yeah. We should do that sometime. That'd I would really love to fun. go skiing. Okay, yeah. deal. Yeah, this winter. Um, That's tight. Okay, cool. But yeah, so, so I, you were a ski instructor. So I but I so I graduated from college. I had a gr- degree that I wasn't intending to do anything with, which. Great. That was money well spent. But I had a degree I didn't intend to do anything with. Had several friends who were in the same position. And we kind of was like, let's move to Colorado for a year. So we packed our cars, uh, drove to Colorado. Didn't know where in Colorado we were going. Uh, Had a friend in culinary school in Dillon, Colorado. So we ended up in Dillon. That's right. I do remember this now. It's been three years since I've heard this story. That's all right. (laughs) Totally fine. Uh, But... So one of the things, besides being a ski bomb, one of the things that I did was kind of think about what my next step was. And sure. the way that I approached that was by looking at all the things that I'd done in my past that I really enjoyed and figuring out what sort of the thread that went through them was. Sure. And it was basically like journalism and writing, photography, drawing when I was younger. Uh, and everything kind of centered around communication. And because I'd started to get in photography my senior year of college, 
I realized that maybe visual communication was something that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that graphic design was a job. Growing up in Macon, Georgia, I didn't know what graphic design was. No. I didn't know... I don't think I'd ever heard the term graphic design until I was a senior in college. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was like, oh, this is something that seems awesome. So I spent like my time in Colorado basically with just Photoshop and a couple of design books, yep. starting out by making like personal projects, like posters for myself and fake music festivals and mm-hmm. my friends brewed beer. So I made beer labels for them and just like a bunch of random crap. And that was like, and so I took all this stuff that I made over this year that I was in Colorado and put it into this portfolio portfolio <laughs> uh, and sent it to several design schools. Ended up getting accepted to like three of them, I think somehow. As I look back at that and it's like, it's, so bad. Right. And, like, the intention and, like, the desire is there, but it's so bad. Right. Which um, I'm sure if they're an education place, they're not looking for who's already accomplished. They're like, who can we get? Right. Who can we turn into somebody? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, like, to my credit, I think that I did a really good job of, like, um, I didn't just send a PDF of, like, here's a poster and here's a poster and here's a poster. No. I took a, like, I, I think I based it on... Uh, a bunch of quotes by Kurt Vonnegut, and yeah. I weaved this whole narrative about myself sure. through because it. Because who and you are is who you are, and so there was right. thought, there was process in it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but, but so it was like, it, I, I, I think that even though the work was pretty not up to snuff, the, <laughs> the thought process behind it and sort of the narrative that I weaved through it, sure. I am pretty happy with. Which that's, I mean, um, that's, a, that's a much harder thing to teach, to teach someone how to think in narrative, to teach someone how to think yeah. uh, abstractly and put time into something. And also I think just that idea of maybe, maybe someone's story is they go to school and, and that's what they do and that's how they, and they suck there. Um, but I think, you know, just surrounding yourself by whatever craft you're doing. Absolutely. And, and just uh, being somebody who says, I'm, I'm going to actively engage with this. Uh, and right now, I don't know what the purpose of my life is. I'm, I'm living somewhere and I'm skiing and it doesn't feel like, a, like I'm accomplishing everything in life that I set out to. And that's okay. Like it's, it's again, it's engaging with that uncomfortable period of time. It's being in it. It's just letting it happen rather than saying, like, I have, to, I have to feel comfortable. I feel like right now, I was talking about this with Heather the other day, like, how many great designers and how many photographers have we lost in this generation because they were able to take a photo, you know? They right. were on their, on their camera phone, and, and, or they were able to uh, add a filter. Like, and instead of saying, learn the hard thing, like, like, work on this program that can take it and make it really good. And they were like, oh, no, I just clicked this button, and I look <laughs> great. I just did this. Right. Like, like and, it, and, it, and it satisfies that little bit of you. Right. No, totally. Um, and, man, I had something I was going to say, and it's just gone. It's not. You're going to get it. <laughs> um, you went to school. I went to school. You gave him a portfolio. Give it was Kurt Vonnegut. Said his name weird. It Vonnegut. I think one of the funniest things. Um, so the the book, I I think it was what was the book? It's the book with the ball. I can't remember which Kurt Vonnegut book it was oh, off the top of my head. I thought but, you were saying your book that you did the illustrated book. 
No, 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 no. Okay. Um, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, the yes. Kurt Vonnegut I based it off of. Um, I based it off of this story about how I think swans will like press their necks against each other, and it's called sky pointing, and it's like um, the symbol of connection or something like that. But I, I use that as like a metaphor for for creative work. Uh, <laughs> And on the, the front cover of this PDF that I sent, and I, well, luckily I sent it to some uh, actual graphic designers that right. I knew at that point. Yeah. Before I sent it to schools, uh, but I had drawn this picture of these two birds with their their <laughs> neck. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I, sent it, I sent it to my designer friend. I'm like, this is actually, I mean, this is actually pretty good. But why does it look like a penis? <laughs> <laughs> Like when, uh, was... when, like everyone's gonna accidentally make a dick <laughs> at some point. Uh, yeah, absolutely, so and I, yeah, and it was one of those things where it was like one of those when he said it, you could not see it because yeah. it was totally a penis. And but... isn't that so necessary to have? Like, I'm sure you were mad. Like at first, you're <laughs> mad at your friend. Like, you're like, no, you're the dick. And then you, like, have to finally be like, oh, this guy's helping me. Right. Like, that's helpful. Like, people get so offended when people are like, I'm critiquing you. This is bad. You did a thing bad. And it's like... Oh, no, I love it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You didn't have any resistance to that? No, I did at first. I definitely (laughs) did. I don't think that that... I think I laughed at that because it was just too funny. Right. But um, I think I... I, I Definitely originally, it was hard for me to take criticism. Um, Mm -hmm. I think especially when I was in school. I think I've gotten a lot better about it now and I actually and I love feedback and I love any type of feedback that I can get. But. Our mutual friend Aaron who plays drums in the, my band, he like his favorite game is how can we change Andy's lyrics just slightly. Right. So that they're maybe a little erotic or maybe a little offensive or just <laughs> stupid. And it's like it's just constant. It's yeah. just a constant broad. Like nothing makes me more humble and like just be like I and still I'll be like, that's not words. And then I'm like <laughs> what I said. like yeah, he got me. He made me riled. That's exactly it. He wins. <laughs> Asshole. Totally. Yeah. No. I think it's... I don't know. It's... I think we get caught up in, like, what we want to say, and we forget that we're... Like, we want to say something, and what we're making isn't necessarily saying what we want to say. Right. And that's all people are really saying. It's yeah. like, oh, this is actually what I thought it said, and it's a that may be different than what you're trying to say. I mean, and that's helpful. That project I mean, you were talking about that was the installation piece where you presented this idea and then people sketch it out yeah. and then they show it back to you and you're like, what things are the closest representation because what I said, I'm not seeing anybody draw exactly what I thought. Right. And that means that no one is visualizing it this way. So if right. I just did exactly what I want, if it's just a mirror of me, then people aren't going to see my idea. They're just going to see me. Right. Absolutely. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's being, I think it's being able to separate yourself from the work that you're doing a little bit and, um, and try to take everything that people are saying, whether or not they, they could just be saying like, oh, hey, that sounds, like, they, they may not be intending to give you feedback, but if you take it as like a way of improving your design and not as a personal attack on you or something that you did wrong, but just as a way that they're interpreting it, mm-hmm. it then feeds back into the way you're doing and it's helpful. So I think it takes a, there's a level of 
again, kind of maturity that you have to get to to reach that point where you're not like, this is my work and it's right. sacred. And, and also, like, like re- when you get, like, feedback in that uh, maturity <clears> to say, like, sometimes you're going to feed- get feedback because you're getting good, and that feedback's going to be wrong. Right. And to still say nothing and just yep. let people Absolutely. be a part of that. And when someone says, oh, you should make it all blue, <laughs> the whole thing, just make it all blue, and you say, thank you, yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Like, Why? listen. Just listen. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I say this again. I'm saying all of these things to myself. Absolutely. All of these things oh, I'm absolutely. To me. Yeah. I, we can sit here on our high horse and say, like, oh, this is how you're supposed to do things and this yeah. is the right way. But, like, at the end of the day, it still is, like, it's a constant fight to not take it personally. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. Well, I'm glad you say that because I've got some things to say about your recent work and then. <laughs> Lay it on me, man. No, I'm ready for it. Uh, this is fun. Yeah, man. Yeah. Do you feel good? I do feel good. I like this. This I'm is just fun. talking. I don't know. It's fine. Well, you're, this is you're like. Talking. I was actually I was hanging out with a friend earlier today, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna I like have this podcast that I'm gonna be on tonight." And I was like, "That's weird. I'm gonna be on a podcast really? tonight too." Yeah. This rant, and he was like, "Yeah, it's kind of nice. Like you." You spend, like, your entire life in your head thinking these things, and there's very few times where you actually just get to sit down and, like, verbalize them to yep. other people. And so having a having a place where I just get to sit down and just talk, say whatever I want to yep. you and just verbalize all the things that are going on in but my head. But there's also a ceremony to it. There, There's a, like, you know that, like, you're not going to be a dick to me. Yeah. Like, you're not going to, like throw me under the bus in this, and I'm not going to throw you under the bus in this. And, like, we're going to... But we're also going to not pick up our phones. We're not going to leave. Like, we're saying, like, okay, we're going to be here for an hour, and we're just going to keep... We're just going to be like, okay, I'm dedicated to this. Totally. And, like, that's my favorite thing to do in life when you and, like, a friend are like, let's go grab coffee. And then you know that they're going to show up and that they're not going to be, like, looking around them and being ready to leave. That they're like, yeah, I'm getting coffee, but the coffee is, like, the least important piece of that. (laughs) Right. Right? Right. Totally. Ugh. Anyways, yeah, I like it. Yeah, man. I did this because I like to talk to you. Some people will listen to it. If they get to this point in the conversation, they'll know I like you. <laughs> That's great. This is the point where Andy yeah, expresses his true admit. feelings. Uh, no, I knew I liked you when we were at New Year's Eve, the first year I was in Seattle. We were at the Rose, and we somehow started talking about Menomina and Ramona Falls. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, he has my name, and he likes my bands. Dude. I'm going to play at the same venue that... Uh, I played there once before, but uh, the first place I ever saw Ramona Falls play at, which is mm, the Sunset, nice. and, like, I'm going to play there in November, and every time I get on that, like, the last time I got on the stage, and I know this time, I'm just, like, all I'm thinking is, I'm on the same stage. Britnoff. Yeah. Man, what's Britnoff doing now? I don't know. Oh, no, he's in uh, he L.I. Yeah, he did that. Yeah. That's, that was... I liked L.I. I actually did genuinely enjoy L.I., Partially because I really like Ramona Falls and I yeah. really like the National. I wanted and to like you... Elvi. Oh, that's I love fair. Both of them. And it's it, it it's just... one of those things where like you can be like, I don't like Hillary Clinton. I think she's sort of cold and mm-hmm. distant, and I don't trust her. And I'd be like, I totally get that. Yeah. And you can say I don't like Elvi. I think okay. it's weird I, so and not as great as either of the I parts combined. Say, I didn't and, say I didn't and I can like... say I would totally get that. No, no, I, no, I didn't totally say I don't it. like Elvi. What I'm saying is I tried to like Elvi. There's a couple things in there that are like I have moments that totally resonate with me, and other moments where I'm like, oh, I want it to go Ramona Falls. This is what I'm used to, or I want it to go the National. This is what I used to, and then it doesn't do either, and it does 
just Elf Eye, and yeah. I'm not used to it. And I don't think I've spent enough time with it still. Yeah. I but also some of it I don't like. That's <laughs> so, fair. Yeah. There's parts of it that I don't like, yeah. but I, I like that it was... It seemed to me to be just this thing that Brent Knopf and... Uh, Matt? Matt? Yeah, Matt yeah. Berninger got mm-hmm. together and did just for the hell of it, just mm-hmm. be weird. Like the song where he the talks Beatles about his song. I was going to say the, uh, I don't remember what the song's called, but the one where he's talking about his dick being out in sunshine. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that, that song. song. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> it's so strange. But like, that, I got to listen it, to it again. I, like, I, and again, like, Beth hates that song. She hates that song. And I totally get it. But there's just something that's, like, weird and off kilter about it. And it just totally works for me. That's and so I, <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, man. Dude, I... Okay, well, I like you, and I said it, and yeah. now we're just going to tenderly kiss for the next hour or so. <laughs> just going to leave the podcast lip, lip, on. <laughs> just lip-smacking for the next hour. Shit. Cheers. Cheers, man. We did it.